And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 104 One Leg Charles' exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And hopefully you've been enjoying all the pro grabs over the last week or so. I honestly have been enjoying it a whole hell of a lot, going back to Forbidden Door and also Money in the Bank, which honestly, I was surprised to see some of the blowback this got over on Twitter, which we'll get to in a little bit because we want to talk about more what's going on in the MMA world to start off because we had UFC 276 International Fight Week came and went. And honestly, this one kind of stunk. Mainly because of the fact you had your co-main events stink up the joint because it felt like they were relatively mediocre in terms of the actual action inside the octagon. The first bout of the main card didn't watch a single minute of the prelims, but I got a couple notes on that if you haven't seen anything about the world of the UFC, what happened over there at UFC 276, but I got some quick thoughts. We start off with the opening match on the main card, Sean O'Malley versus Pedro Munoz. And this seemed like it was going to be a good fight. O'Malley was going to have a real opportunity to move up in the rankings in a very stacked division that he's in. I was interested to see how he was going to perform here. Good early feeling out process with some calf kicks from the two of them. Not a whole lot of activity in the first round at one point, probably about midway through the first round. Sean O'Malley hit an accidental kick to the groin. Looked like he barely was at belt level barely caught him in that region it was pretty boring first round a lot of people were going more O'Malley 10-9 I probably would have gone the other way around Munoz 10-9 more because of the low blow I would have probably docked him a point but again that's just my humble opinion there then we get to more of the same in the in the second round but at one point Sugar Sean pokes him in the eye it basically he just goes for a palm and catches him in his eye and it did not look good for a while because again they give him time to kind of recover but apparently he could not see out of that eye at all basically all he was seeing was black you never when you see that it's never a good thing and apparently this coming from Pedro Munoz the day after it caused a scratch in his cornea which is never a good thing and Sean O'Malley even kind of said after the fight that I think the UFC and I'd probably agree with him because this happens way too often. He got, he suffered that eye poke and couldn't see anything for about 20 minutes. And they used a special eye drop to make his eye numb so they could actually open it up. And they had a scratch in the cornea all the way around it. And he just, it, that's what happened in the, in that opening bout on the main card and call it a day. This wound up being ruled a no contest because of a non-incidental foul and unintentional foul, which it was. It's not like he was intentionally trying to do this like he was a Bobby Boucher going up against one of the defensive players for the SELSU Mud Dogs and going to eye poke a la Captain Insano. No, this will look a little more like it was still not a good look for O'Malley, who has definitely been moving up in the ranks over the last year. And it's been one of the more electrifying guys. This is just not a good look for him at all. Now it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Do they run this back down the road? Because I think there's there's going to be some heat between those two. And why not kind of run it back so you can see who comes out on top? Next off, we get Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barberina. And this was the polar opposite of damn near every single fight on the card. 
It was Rock'em Sock'em Robots from Jump Street. These two are just throwing the entire time. First off, shout out to Barbarina out here feeling himself strutting to the ring with the BG staying alive before the match. The walkouts were fantastic tonight, or Saturday night, I should say. And these two just throwing bombs midway through the first round. Lawler landed a great-looking uppercut. Looked like it shook up Brian Barbarina a little bit, but he was just absolutely going at it. And I went more 10-9 Lawler, but it was very, very close. These two did not slow down at all. And they were continuing with the Rock'em Sock'em, but Barbarina late in the second round put him on skates and landed a really big right hook that it looked fantastic. And then at one point, Barbarina is basically looking like he's in the middle of a mosh pit and obliterating him with jabs upon jabs upon jabs, a big elbow to face, kind of set up the big crescendo to end this fight. And what's crazy was... Lawler was still standing. He just wasn't defending himself, and the ref had to do the right thing and call it a day. This was, without a doubt, probably one of my favorite fights on the main card. Didn't see a single second of the prelims. Was having a little fun on a Saturday night. Sue me. But a really good fight on the main card. Probably the only really, truly good fight on the main card. Then you had Sean Strickland versus Alex Perea, and this was an eye-opener for me because I didn't know a whole hell of a lot about Strickland or Perea. While I'm doing a little research, and again, I have a guy on every single UFC fight the the day of on my show, Under the Dome with CD, which you can hear Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. And he said, watch out for this guy. He's one of the few that's actually been able to knock out Israel Adesanya, not once, but twice when they were kickboxing before both fighters wanted making the transition to the octagon. And this was impressive. He wrecked Strickland. Massive hook in the first round. Takes the dub. And probably set himself, set himself up for a title shot down the road. I'm talking when that thing hit, you knew it was over. It's one of those just brutal like knockout punches that you see in boxing. But put in the MMA, absolutely hardcore. Now we get to the featherweight championship match. Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky. And it was pretty much all Volkanovsky because he was able to handle himself really well. Mainly because of the fact that he was just outclassing Holloway. who I think he's honestly outclassed everybody in the featherweight division. First round, Volk, in my mind, won the first round based off a lot of really big strikes. Holloway landed a nice headshot to Volk in the last minute or so. But I think... Volkanovski got the first round one. Pretty mediocre second round. Not a whole lot happened. But I got Volk 2018 through two. Fight gets a little more fast and furious. And he gets busted wide open late in the third round. Holloway does. Volk busts him wide open. It is clearly all in his favor. 30-27. It is going to be a landslide win for him by unanimous decision. And it further proves why he's one of the best in the octagon amongst the males, especially. I think Shevchenko is going to be going down as one of the best females in the business of all time. I think Volkanovsky still got a lot of weights to go because honestly, especially in the featherweight division, there's a lot of all-timers in that list. A lot like 
When we talk about Israel Adesanya, the last dialbender, there's a lot of guys in Volkanovski's history of the UFC featherweight division that I think he's going to have to eclipse, but he's not far off. Now, speaking of the middleweight championship, Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier, the main event. And this one, honestly, was exactly what you'd expect to see. But before the main event, they actually show a lot of the fans in the stands like they always do, the celebrities. And turns out in one of those VIP areas, Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, Levesque, and Triple H, and Pat McAfee, who had a neck brace. And we'll get to that later. This happened after the show during Money in the Bank, which was going on also in Las Vegas. Definitely a busy-ass weekend in Vegas. So Israel Adesanya had absolutely one of the best entrances the UFC has had in a long time. It felt very much boxing-esque, excuse me, with the Undertaker entrance, and then the fight puts you to damn sleep. And this is about 11 o'clock at night, Central Time. You can about imagine how much worse it is for people out on the East Coast who are watching this fight, and it's damn near going to 1 a.m. on a Sunday. That's rough. And here's the thing. Jared Cannonier absolutely had a chance to win this fight. But he let Israel play his game. And that's what winds up shooting you in the foot more often than not when it comes to the UFC. You let a guy like that play his game and be more of a Floyd Mayweather type, kind of keep his distance, land enough punches to win on the scorecards, that's where these things kind of go down. But Cannonier got hit really hard by shot to the face by Izzy in the second round. His eye was all jacked up. Cannonier wound up refusing the doctor. Fight keeps on going. And it was very clear he was winning by decision. No one was shocked on this one. And a lot like what we talk about with Volk, Stylebender is the same way. That said, I think Perea is needs to get a title opportunity in the next year or so because he feels like he's going to be the guy based off of his trajectory and the history between these two in their past. I think absolutely you've got to go and put this on a main card as a main event for the middleweight championship before long. And I think Perea could be the next guy in line. And it's wild to think about the fact you have this built up as a stack card. Because I remember when 271 was done, they announced 272's card. I'm like, holy bleep, this is going... 276, excuse me. When they announced 276 after 275, I'm like, holy hell, this card is loaded from top to bottom. It's really good. Prelim matches as well. And I didn't even see any of the prelims, but they had two legends of the game. One of them being Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who we all kind of saw coming. That he was going to be dumb. He's supposed to fight Joe Lozon, but that fight got scrapped three separate times for three separate reasons. And he kind of felt like if he was going to lose his next fight, he was going to hang it up one way or another. And he fought Jim Green in a last-minute substitution, which has kind of become the vintage move of one Cowboy, but he lost by submission there, then retired shortly after. That was in the prelims. In the early prelims, you had Jessica EA retire and hang up her gloves. But here's the thing. Jessica EA was absolutely a great name to have for a while, but she had lost a ton of steam, losing five of her final six fights in the octagon. Macy Barber took her to the limit in the early prelims, and the 24-year-old Flyweight got her third straight victory and could be one of those that's going to continue to move up in the rankings before too long 
in the women's flyweight division. Keep it on her. I think probably 2023 is when she's really going to hit her stride and more importantly, get a title shot for that featherweight championship, which is definitely a pretty stacked division, I would think, in the flyweight women's division. Now let's get into Money in the Bank. Saturday night, didn't watch it live, full disclosure. I wound up watching this after all the dust cleared, all the dust settled, watching it on my own time on Sunday. And it's not often I do that for a wrestling show. I usually watch it live, but this is one of those instances where you're literally having both UFC and WWE's Money in the Bank going on at the same time. I'm going to go ahead and enjoy a little bit of UFC first on that Saturday night, and then I'll watch Money in the Bank on Sunday. And that's exactly what I did, watching different kind of bursts. Didn't watch the entire thing from start to finish in one go. Maybe that's why I think my thoughts on this show is a little bit differently than how everybody else on the internet kind of perceive things. Because I thought everything overall on the card was was good, if not like solid in terms of your in-ring work. But most everybody, I mean, it is split right down the middle in a thumbs down, thumbs in the middle, winning the poll at 42.9%. Both of them split right down the middle, thumbs up, only 14.3% went that route. Match of the night. Went to the Usos and Street Profits, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. I'm just blown away by how many people hated Money in the Bank. Because honestly, I think they did a really solid job doing something like this. Everything they did outside the main event felt good. I had fun watching a show from WWE, which doesn't happen all that often. The pay-per-views they've been doing really well at lately. And I understand some people's frustrations with what happened. But honestly, still a really fun show. But we'll kind of go match by match here. Start off with a women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Really solid opener here. Alexa Bliss versus Becky Lynch versus Lacey Evans versus Raquel Rodriguez. Or Gonzalez, whichever one you want to call her. Asuka, Shotsky, Shotzi, excuse me, not Shotsky, and Liv Morgan. And we see the fight immediately just match devolve. They go outside the ring to get the ladders, and Becky Lynch and Asuka start off the match in the ring. These two women going at it, and again, that's been the big overarching story for these two women over the last month, month and a half, if not two months. Going back to the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, and they had a really good back and forth. Early on, they kept trying to keep combatants out of the ring. And then we get two ladders in almost immediately. And Asuka winds up hitting Becky with a bulldog onto a ladder. After she nearly got smushed with one, which would have looked like a cool bump. Impressive feat of strength by Rodriguez lifting the ladder. She didn't necessarily like lift it up over her head like we saw with the Revolution ladder match in February on AEW side. But it still looked cool because, again, you don't see that that often from the women's division in WWE, these feats of strength. And the fact you have Raquel Rodriguez, who is an absolute like unit, it was really cool to see. She lifted the ladder with Lynch and Liv on it, didn't necessarily pick it up all the way, but still looked like a solid spot, almost like a deadlift, basically. She had a moment to shine, showcase her power with a really good double vertical suplex. 
Shotzi avoids getting stabbed with it with the ladder in the corner. Takes out Liv, but now Asuka, Evans, and Shotzi ran the ladder into Rodriguez to isolate her. Asuka climbs the ladder first. Lacey joins her in the climb up. But Becky throws both women down off the ladder, just kind of pushes the ladder off. Big European uppercut on Asuka takes Becky down. Shotzi. Wait, where was I? Yeah, Shotzi and Lacey take each other off the ladder, and the two finally meet up at the top. Evans lands a big punch to knock her off. Evans nearly wins, but Raquel grabs her basically in an electric chair position and keeps her away from the title. Liv climbs up, hits a sunset flip powerbomb off the top of the ladder. Looked fantastic. Shotzi plays defense for a good while here. At one point, throws Bliss into the ladder. Looked like she was intending to do something else, but you couldn't quite tell what the plan was, which was an overarching story in this match. There was some botches, but I think a lot of it was more the fact that they're not that experienced doing ladder matches. But there were some really cool moments in here. Nonetheless, Shotzi missed a senton and bumped hard into the ladder. Rodriguez winds up setting up a ladder bridge on the outside. Teases a teases her powerbomb finisher onto the ladder, but Asuka counters with a flying armbar. Becky gets in on the action and sets up Asuka on the bridge and hits a what looks like it's supposed to be a leg drop, but winds up just turning into a butt blast, and which, by the way, looked tremendous. And they did a great job with that. The finish goes with Lynch. She clears out the field. Morgan gets in the ring with a much larger ladder. Nearly gets shoved off, but she winds up putting her foot on the rope. Maintains her balance and rights herself. Knocks Lynch off the ladder and is your Money in the Bank winner for the women's division. Miss Money in the Bank, Liv Morgan. Four links to Boudin. So damn glad that Liv Morgan won this match because she absolutely deserves it, number one. Number two, If you listen back to my podcast after every review of those pay-per-views, you know it is an overarching theme where I want her to do so much better, but you don't see it. There's those moments where she has an amazing match, but can't quite get the job done. This is a step in the right direction. Now, what they do going forward after this pay-per-view, that's a different conversation. Now we get to the United States Championship match, kind of a come down, but still a really good match between Bobby Lashley and Theory. And I'm just going to complain about this. Every single time I see it, I'm just repeating myself. The champion should always come out last in these kind of matches. Classic chicken bleep stuff here from Theory immediately bailing from the ring after the match started. Jimmy Smith with a Freudian slip saying the dick has been stacked against Lashley, meaning the deck. Theory gets decimated by Lashley with the thrust spine buster, gets out of the ring as he teases the spear. Lashley nearly gets counted after, after, be throwing, after being thrown into the ring post. Is theory counter the I don't even know what they call that move where Lashley picks him up in the fireman's carry position and rams him into the ring post. I don't know what they call that. Theory at one point gets rocked by the ring post. When he gets thrown into it, good karma there. Lashley goes for the spear, but Theory goes into a fetal position. But Lashley's like, screw that. I'm still beating you down a little bit. Big left hand by Theory, only good for a one count. Theory wound up trying to. When the match hit an eye rake into a spear, then set up for the A-Town down. But Lashley gets out of it, counters into the Hurt Lock to become the new United States champion. Three and a half links to Boudin. Wouldn't mind a few extra minutes here, but an overall 11-minute match worked out pretty doggone well. And seeing you know Lashley become a three-time United States champion, that was pretty cool. And also the cocky heel got his comeuppance, and the crowd went wild for it. 
Now we get to the Raw Women's Championship match. Carmella versus Bianca Belair. And I always put over when commentary does something right, especially when it comes to the little things. And the way they built this up is saying, hey, this is supposed to be Rhea Ripley, but she's out with an injury, out for a good while with a brain injury, according to all the reports. And I think Rhea Ripley even confirmed that much. But he called this pretty much a potential trap match, not a, hey, you know, this is going to be an easy walk in the park for her. No, they put it over as not as much Carmella being a legitimate threat, but maybe Bianca Belair is looking further ahead and moving forward. A lot like what we hear when we talk about college football analysts across the country, you hear the term trap game. When you look at the schedule, you always mark down what could be a potential trap game. Like LSU, we always think about the LSU-Florida game is a trap game because you never know which way that one's going to go. And that's basically what this was. And they set it up like that. It felt like WWE's commentators are treating it more like a sport rather than just saying, hey, I think Bianca's going to win this match and not even close. It felt like they set it up a really in a really good way. Mind you, again, this had to get rushed together in just a few short weeks, so not necessarily as much heat on it as maybe a Rhea Ripley match would have, especially with Judgment Day behind her. Bianca dominated for the bulk of this match with her power and speed. At one point, you had a really cool kind of spot with Carmella taking over. She wound up getting a really nice submission in, basically wrapping up both her arms, but Belair turned that into a roll-up for two. She eventually wins with a KOD that Carmella sold like death, so give her mad credit for pulling that off and making it look good. That said, this is probably the weakest match on the card from my point of view, two and a half links of Buna. It just like cracked that barrier where if it's less than like four minutes, I'm not really talking about it. I'm not rating it. It barely cracked that mark for me. And again, imagine I have a whole lot of heat to it. Then after the match, you had Carmella start wailing on Bianca. So maybe we get to see this match again on a future Raw or maybe even at SummerSlam. We'll see from that perspective. Then we get to Street Profits versus the Usos. But before that, we get a absolutely awful pre-tape that will turn out to be an ad for the WWE credit card. I swear, I saw this and I almost like, I wish I could have fast forward. Because it's Alexa Bliss and Lily and Lily's buying all the stuff with the WWE credit card. And it made me remember, like, they actually are still doing this damn gimmick. Why are we still allowing Lily to be a thing in 2022? Street Profits went old school here, get getting into the crowd and get hyped up with the crowd, which looked cool. It was really this was a really good match, and by far match of the night in my book. And further proves why the Usos over the last few years, alongside the New Day, has carried this damn tag team division. There was a really unique spot here. Double team suplex on Angelo Dawkins by the Usos into the ring post. Hadn't seen that before. They isolated Dawkins for a good while. And Pat McAfee absolutely had some phrasing with this one. Quote, the gold has been showered all over the bloodline for quite some time. Did he really think about what he said there? I don't think so. At one point, Dawkins rallies, gets the hot tag to Ford, but he gets snuffed out almost immediately with a super kick in midair. Looked like it was to the stomach, was maybe almost a low blow, but you know, he's not Adam Cole's super kick, basically having to go crazy and just land it like dead on. Because he has like 
Adam Cole has that like sniper-like accuracy with that super kick in midair. This still looked good. Usos had a double axe handled death sentence style for two. I can't think of any other way to describe it. If you remember AMW's death sentence finish in TNA, that's what this kind of looked like. Ford gets locked in a nice sleeper hold after some cross, cross faces, which looked rough, along with some jaw jacking from, I believe this is Jay at this point, locking in that hold. Learned that from Roman, which is always a great thing from him. Ford finds that second win with some big strikes, but again gets snuffed out after a sucking crotch top going into a springboard, but a big punch hits him right in the mush. Ford gets his momentum back in the corner with a suplex on the apron, and Angel Dawkins gets his hot tag. Big dive over the top rope to both Usos. Jimmy got through the vintage Street Profits offense, hits a corkscrew neckbreaker for two and a half. At one point, Dawkins hits a truck stick on both Usos outside, blind tag by Ford and Dawkins, throws Jimmy to a backdrop for two, which looked fantastic, by the way. Doomsday Blockbuster for 2.9. Dawkins and Jay go back and forth with big strikes. They go for the Doomsday Blockbuster again, but the Usos get out of it and connect with a double superkick to Ford for about 2.9. Ford takes back control, and it's a massive dive over the turnbuckle then hits from the heavens. Jimmy breaks it up at the last second. We're back to square one. Both teams just go to town on each other, but the Usos win with double superkick and the 1D for the Usos to retain Four and a half links to Buddha, and this was by far, again, match of the night. Everything they did was tremendous. And even what they did post-match, it actually showed footage, and one angle showed that Ford's shoulder was clearly up, and he was voicing his frustrations after the match, damn near dropped an F-bomb. Like, he looked like he kind of stopped himself just before. Basically, self-censored himself, which looked great. And I get why people weren't necessarily a huge fan of this match coming up. The SmackDown Women's title match, Natalya versus Ronda Rousey. But this may have been one of the best main roster women's matches I've seen in a good while. Because it felt like a technical masterpiece with these two women going back and forth. Like they had so many counters, it was absurd to kind of get into. And also, the sharpshooters they had were fantastic. Yet at one point, Rousey counter an armbar attempt from Natalia into a sharpshooter and did the HBK taunt on Bret Hart's birthday during Canada Day week. That was great stuff. But I like how they sold a really good story with Rousey's ankle not necessarily being 100%, and she tweaks her knee when she gets thrown out of the ring towards the end of the match but still wins it by submission. A three and a half links of Boudin match. Fans weren't into it, but still, I honestly enjoyed it. Liv Morgan runs out, cashes in her money in the bank contract, and wins after a roll-up after kicking Ronda in her bad knee. Definitely felt similar to what we saw with Dolph Ziggler cashing in the money in the bank. Definitely felt similar to when we saw Dolph Ziggler cashing in money in the bank after WrestleMania 29 back in 2013. And honestly, I love it. I almost feel like putting this as five links to Boudin just because of the moment itself because we finally get to see her shine. Now, how long? That's a different conversation that we're probably going to get to in a future podcast. Now it's time for the main event 
Money in the Bank ladder match for the men's side. Drew McIntyre versus Omos versus Seth Freakin' Rollins versus Riddle versus Drew McIntyre versus Madcap Moss versus Sami Zayn. Oh, wait, we're not done with the entrances just yet because Adam Pearce comes out. And guess who's the eighth participant? It's Austin Theory, or now Theory. I think he's just been enjoying a... Basically, I'm calling it the WWE 2K career, my career mode from back in the day, or my rise now. This basically feels like he's just speed running through all these different storylines and being pushed towards the top. And he deserves to. He's a hell of a hand and hell of a character, too. He's done a great job being a chicken bleep heel from Jim. But like what I saw in this match, Omos just was showcasing his power. They, The entire field had to team up to take him down. Like basically buried him underneath ladders, put him through a table with a not shield style power bomb, but it was almost like a stage dive style power bomb. And this was a really good back and forth. Everybody was getting some really cool and good moments in. I was just surprised how quickly this thing devolved into insanity and also how great Riddle was in this match. You were convinced he was going to win this match. He wound up hitting a floating bro off the top of the ladder. And give credit to everybody for actually pulling that off and being able to catch him and make sure he doesn't get hurt. Because the last that's the last thing WWE needs is somebody like your boy getting it done. But overall, really fun match. Maybe a little too much, you know, outside interference, overbooking type stuff. You had Butch come out in the middle of nowhere, takes Drew off the ladder. And then Butch gets hit with a Claymore for his efforts. Sheamus gets back up. These two start throwing bombs. It was a really good back and forth with those two guys just going at it. And of course, we had a super RKO off the ladder on Rollins, which looked tremendous. Riddle nearly gets the briefcase, but Theory gets on the other side, knocks Riddle off, and wins the Money in the Bank briefcase. Four links of Boone and more because the execution of the match. Now, who won the Money in the Bank? I'm not necessarily a huge fan of. But again, if you want to have a fall guy for this and have him kind of lose in his cash into Roman or Brock or whatever you want to do, I can completely agree with that take. Because I think he's a guy that could afford to lose. Because Rollins, McIntyre, their momentum could be shot to hell if they don't. And I don't hate this. Yes, Theory is starting to get overexposed and people are starting to just hate this cat, period. I get that. But I think you're overthinking the theory. Theory absolutely deserves to have a good run. And I'm intrigued to see how they handle this if they do continue to really ramp things up. But again, overwhelming negative response to Money in the Bank, which I was kind of surprised about, to be honest. Because I thought it was solid. The only bad thing was more Mella Bel Air, but it was more because that had zero heat to it and also was only like a six-minute match, so it felt like a typical Raw contest, just no commercial breaks in the middle. I thought this was a fine show, and hopefully, if you watch it, you feel the same way. I'm just still a little shocked, if you will, about the end results. But that's about all I got for this week's edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcast from and also have a good week enjoy the wrestling don't be a jerk about certain things and also just have fun
We'll see you next time.